Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 213, episode 2 of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, ah! a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it's Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, which of course means, uh, Miles, it is. <laughs> I mean, look, it's Stay Home Because You're Well Day, National Personal Space Day. National M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I Day, Mississippi Day, and National Mason Jar Day. A little bit of something for everybody. And National Meth Awareness Day. Meth Awareness? Yeah. Okay. I don't know All what right. Stay Home Because You're Well Day is. That seems like, seems like something I would have made up as like right? a high schooler. Right. Like Play Hooky Day? National Thermometer Against the Lamp? Day. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, or I would do is I would take a little bit of tea. Mm. You know, like you have a little hot water in your mouth and then use mm. that to bring the temp up mm. just to the right point and then you take it out anyway for all you kids out there around tea kettles. I get out of school. Professional. All right. Well, my name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to Spruce. Uh, that is courtesy of Marky Mark Aurelius uh, talking about some Christmas trees. Oh, some Christmas trees. Truly. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Hey, it's Miles Gray. Oh, man. I wish uh, <laughs> uh, it's I, Hideo Noho, back it is on that. the airwaves. I was traveling. You know, I was in New York. It was cool to wear a jacket. So I think I'm still kind of riding that high of wearing winter clothing. Yeah. So, so you'll have to forgive me for a lack of an AK because I see the Discord is popping with them. So rest assured, I will come back strong tomorrow. We will get to you. Well, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat once again yes. by a brilliant and talented political strategist, storyteller, and artist who has performed her poetry on stages everywhere, including, I don't know, the White House. Please welcome Taz Ahmed. Hey, How's it going? What's up? It's going well. How you doing? I'm, I'm still feeling that like post Thanksgiving lethargy. So. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You're telling sure. me. Like my body's yeah. slow, and I didn't even really eat a formal Thanksgiving. I went to a restaurant, but I had they had a Thanksgiving like meal that you could have got there, but I was like, I just want stuffing and gravy. So I, yeah. just, I just said, can I just get that as a side to my other meal? So I ate a lot wow. of stuff. And so I got that. Yeah. In. We went to Luci Lucille's the day after Thanksgiving because we didn't have cornbread. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we need we need to eat cornbread now. Right. So it was just like a gluttonous. Oh, and then I made cheesecake last night. So it's just been a gluttonous Ooh. weekend. Ooh. Where are you? Been? Wait, so cheesecake. where are you at right now? You with your family? I I'm at my dad's house. He lives in the suburbs of Ontario. Cheesecake is really easy to make, but I've been trying to come up with my my twist on it. So that's been kind of fun. Right. When you say Ontario, you mean like Ontario, like California? Yeah. Ontario, okay. California. I was like, you're not in Canada, oh, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm right, not crossing right, borders right. yet. No. Shout out to Ontario Mills. Ontario Mills. Ontario Airport. <laughs> yeah. I thought that you could only make cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. I thought they had like a, a trademark oh. on that. I didn't know that was a, a homemakeable thing. Oh, my gosh. So, if you look at your Philadelphia um, bar, the cheesecake, Mm. Cream cheese. Okay, I'm pulling it, it up right here. Yep, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Oh, keep one in my that. pocket. Right there. <laughs> I How do many keep blocks one, do you need? Keep one on me, uh, as they say. Yeah. How many blocks do you typically need for like one cheesecake? I've never made. I, it's so funny. I love cheesecake. Never even attempted to make it. Never even watched someone make it. 
but I, I, know I it's used a lot of one one box for this go. But here's okay. So this is like my little background. Like there's this Bengali dessert. My family's from Bangladesh. Bengalis are known for sweets. So there's this Bengali dessert called Ras Malai, which has like a lot of cardamom and saffron. So I've been trying to like make Ras Malai fusion desserts every Thanksgiving. So last year I made a Ras Malai tres leches. Oh, and then that was oh amazing. God. So it was just like tres leches with saffron and uh, cardamom. And then <laughs> this year I wanted to try to do a saffron cardamom cheesecake. And it worked. I'm yeah. pretty impressed with myself. I'm just going to keep riding this fusion wave. Yeah, why not? Baking. I mean, straight to the bank. Uh, what's how was the uh, fusion tres leches? How was that? How did that? Oh turn my out? god, it was yes, so yeah, good. I, I'll I send you all the recipe. It was yeah. delicious. It's my favorite. My favorite. Hey, if you ever see me in the street and you want to get me something, put a tres leches in front of my face and I will smile. <laughs> I th- I think I want to try the flan next. See if I can like figure it, figure Ooh. that out. Yeah, mm. or like a creme brulee too. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna anyway. t- keep talking about dessert. That was like. See, yeah. I'm talking like somebody who didn't eat enough Thanksgiving food on Thanksgiving. And now Listen, I'm like being like, oh. we're the start of the holiday season. We're going to be eating throughout. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. What else are we going to do? Yeah. I'm just picturing Miles <laughs> being led around by his nose with his feet like an inch off the ground with some tres leches, like a cartoon <laughs> character. <away. laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you, you were back home. Is this where you grew up? Are you back in the... Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the suburbs of L.A. I... Went to Ontario High School. I went to LA colleges in LA, but I, I would always come back on the weekends. Mm, yeah. It was kind of hard for the pandemic because I wasn't coming back to see my dad as often. My dad lives here now in this mm. house. So I wouldn't come back during the pandemic. But this is this was like the first Thanksgiving where it felt kind of normal in like yeah. two years. Yeah. But it was still kind of scary too. Like we hung out, but we were like hanging out outside with my cousins. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, there's still, I mean, yeah, there's still a level of edginess to it all, despite, you know, vaccinations and, you know, infection rates going up and down. It's always at a constant hum in the background. How are your Thanksgivings? I know this is on Tuesday. but right. Still got to keep talking about it. I mean, mine was fine. Again, New York, city of dreams, the green apple. You love it's to true, be though, there. that everything in New York isn't always what it seems, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, those, I just want to make sure that was still true. true. with the dog pound gangster click. Right, but yeah, right. it's. I, I had a great time. I was there for a wedding. Shout outs to Jacqueline and Scott. Congratulations on your wedding. That wow. was also a very, that was like a trip, too, to just like kind of do like some normal thing again. But other than that, great time. Great time. Yeah, I, I, we did Thanksgiving dinner outdoors, al fresco, oh. and I, oh, yeah, I was in charge so of the nice. turkey. So it took too long. And so by the oh, time no. we were eating, it was very cold out. But the turkey was very good. I, oh, I both nice. dry and wet brined it. Oh. Not Ooh. in that order, which would have been a problem. Okay, Jack O'Brien over here. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like very last minute. I realized that we had ordered a bunch of sides and had not figured out what we were going to do for the main thing <laughs> literally the night before. <laughs> so oh, no. I got like a nine pound turkey and was like, all right, well, this will this will do. And uh, okay, what did what did you use for the brine? So we have some rosemary in the backyard. We have a lemon tree in the backyard. So I just did some rosemary and lemon and some fresh thyme and then just a shitload of salt and water and, you know, boiled it up. Let it cool. Was up until like one in the morning the night before doing it because it was, you know, I I figured out I was doing it at like ten o'clock 
as oh, Whole Foods was closing. <laughs> so very well. It's all about preparation. Yeah, my man. I'm yeah. bad at that. So it was it was a bit of a mess. And we didn't have uh, kosher salt, so I used Himalayan salt. So for a while, the turkey was like bright pink, uh, which, which was kind of I, weird. People were like, uh, okay. Is this right. cooked? <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, cooked down. It, it was good. It was good. Nice. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad to hear that even though it was delayed, it came out a more succulent than even you could have hoped. <laughs> and I always that's my favorite line from Seinfeld. Pop yeah. Describing the duck is a more yeah, succulent yeah. than even I could have hoped. And shout out to Sharon, <laughs> my mom. We we once again used her sweet potato crunch recipe. It's one of those like old school seventies recipes that's just like various, you know, grocery items mixed yeah. together. But it's fucking bomb. Love it. it. Hits every time. All right. And we have uh, my in-laws here. And it was fun. We also had some Korean uh, beef Ooh. along with the turkey. So it was okay. really good. Oh, you got to love the Thanksgiving table that has like different. We had biryani also on Thanksgiving. So we had yeah, yeah, turkey yeah. during the daytime. And then dinner yeah. was like biryani. It's funny though, too. Love like those my fusion mom, days. she's Japanese. She'll be like, do you like as a kid, be like, should I make a turkey? And I'm like, well, I mean, you could make like some other Japanese stuff. as long Again, I was like, just have the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and we could. Right. To fusion this shit up however we need to. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. All right, Taz, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. We're going to sure. just check in with where we're at in the pandemic. We got the new variant, you know, all that good stuff. So we're going to just, how, how do we feel? What, how should we feel? What, what are we, what's the signal in the noise? All that shit. Matthew McConaughey says, nah, I'm good about running for <laughs> Texas governor. Uh -huh. uh, so we're going to, you know, just congratulate him on that wise decision. It is, of course, a holiday season, the holiday season for many. Christmas is upon us. You know, we all did the Mariah Carey Thanksgiving evening change into a peppermint candy uh, themed <laughs> outfit at midnight. So we're going to we're going to ask the question, what are America's favorite Christmas candies by state? You know, it's it's every holiday we have to look at a probably apocryphal chart uh, <laughs> claiming that every state has a has wildly differing candy preferences. This one's actually uh, boring enough that it might be true. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, all of that, plenty more. But first, we do like to ask our guest Taz, what is something from your search history? You know, I was cooking a lot this weekend, so for my search history. It's a lot of recipes, a lot of Googling of different types of fusion foods. I made a list. I was trying to figure out what was, I mean, I think oh, besides, you know, Thanksgiving related searches, the other thing that I've been like really digging into, I'm really into Mor Moorish architecture right now. Mm -hmm. So I definitely went into the, the rabbit hole looking for different buildings in LA that were inspired by this Islamic Moorish, they call it Moorish revival. And it happened actually, actually it happened because when they used to have the World Fair out in Chicago, they mm -hmm. used to bring, have like an example Taj Mahal-ish architecture thing. And then people would come to the World, World Fair and then say, I want that house. And then they would make it. So this was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really into this because I was working, writing a script where my characters get really involved with Orientalist tropes that you see in Palm Springs and in the 
the the desert out there. So then I I, I jumped into it. Okay. Nice. I will say one of the if you I I know you're both in LA. If you haven't been to the Glendale Library yet, the Glendale Library was actually a house that I feel like his name is Brand. You know the Brand family they started Glendale, and he had this Moorish ar- architecture castle built out in the mountains of Glendale. And if you go now, it's just kind of like it looks like a library that's like inside a mosque. It's fascinating to just I don't know for me as a as a Muslim woman in LA, I didn't realize like we had this kind of connections to Islamic architecture around Los Angeles. Right. So that is my rabbit hole that I've been digging into. That's wild. Yet. Oh yeah, because now I'm like I was first like googling like Moorish revival architecture, but I'm like now that I see the Glendale, I'm like oh yeah, the Glendale yeah. Library. <laughs> okay. <laughs> To try and put it in our listeners' mind, like what what are features of Moorish architecture? It's kind of like over the top because it's not really how architecture is in India or Iran or wherever these kinds of pieces are being inspired from. It's like the white imagination of the Orient, which is (laughs) my fascination of it because it's kind of like, I think the way that I've been thinking about it is like growing up as a Muslim girl in Southern California, the mosques we would go to were like in these strip malls because that was what our community could afford. Yet here you have like these luxurious homes with Moroccan detail, domes, Mm. minarets, arches. And that was just like their home. And I, I like seeing where that contradiction is that like gray space between the two. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's like, that's like sort of, like you were saying, I didn't realize there was like a, that sort of like chinoiserie, like Orientalism stuff happening in Palm Springs. I have to look closer. But yeah, it's always. Interesting. Oh, my gosh. It's so deep in Palm Springs. There's the city of Mecca, which used to be called something else. And they changed it to the city of Mecca because the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they brought in dates from mm-hmm. the Middle East, basically, to grow. This was back in the turn of the century. So they were like trying to figure out like how to make the desert a farming land so they brought in these dates they started farming dates out in the desert they renamed the city a city to mecca they renamed you know this beach along the salton sea they called it bombay beach because they thought that would make it look like exotic right indio right indio county wow it's like india but it's masculine right (laughs) but indio (laughs) high school their mascot is are the Rajas or the or something like that? Oh wow! Damn. Coachella has the mascot of the Arabs. I don't know. They're just like this. I'm just really fascinated by all of that. Right of the the Western gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They even have a date festival where they, you know, how they have like those pageants. They have a pageant where they the winner is called the Queen Queen Sherazad is the name of the pageant winner. Okay. Oh wow. And just, I don't know, it was just wild. I'm just yeah. so fascinated by all of this. Right, that's, that's so like so entrenched. And like people like, have, does it, is this just all taken, uh, just accepted? Or is anyone kind of looking back in the history and be like, oh, right. I didn't even know. I just thought Queen Scheherazade was just a thing you won in, at the at right? the date festival. Mm. They, they used to, back in the day for the date festival, they used to dress up in Orientalist attire. And if you go to the date festival still, there's they have like Arabia... Play. I don't know. Mm. It's it is pretty. It's, it's particularly wild to me because that region of Southern California is deeply Islamophobic. There's been a lot of hate crimes out there. Yet, so 
So on one hand, it's like deeply Islamophobic. And on the other hand, they're like exotifying and, right. you know, glorifying mm. yeah. the culture oh. yeah. or their imagination of culture. Ain't that right. the story Fetish of this whole place? Yeah. Yeah. Which, but shit often. I could talk together. on and on about this. Uh, if anyone's interested, just tweet at me. I'm, yeah. I'm like such a nerd about this kind of stuff. Yeah. That's super interesting. What is something you think is overrated? Pete Davidson. <laughs> not Pete. I what mean, about him? What about him? Something just, to be specific now, you know, a defense. Just him dating opinion. Kim Kardashian. <laughs> I think the relationship thing is overrated. I think that right. shit's fake. You yeah. think so? I don't know. Like, it just seems, it feels like a Netflix algorithm relationship. Like, an algorithm was like, you know what would turn the fucking internet up? put pete davidson with kim kardashian <laughs> uh there's like just such a energy around it that i've just like become suspicious of what what their whole thing is but yeah there is I mean, a, there is a theory on twitter that chris jenner manufactured this relationship to get eyes <laughs> off of travis scott but wait but no nah, but they were together before yeah the astro world thing she knew it was coming she, because she, she also planned that yeah she also planned the astro world <laughs> disaster yeah where's that twitter thread yeah I do wonder how much is, you know, may, maybe it's not like externally orchestrated, but if you are like very smart at like knowing the culture and like part of your life is like being sort of naturally like magnetically drawn to fame, like do, do, is there something in her or her mom's mind or Pete Davidson's mind where they're like, okay, this relationship will hit super hard. So, like, therefore, I am drawn, like, sort of the yeah. internalizing of the algorithm. Right. As opposed to, like, the algorithm having to tell them what to do. Right. Whereas, like, normal people are like, I'm lonely as fuck. I like this person <laughs> right. and they like me back. This yeah. is great. Where, right. But at, when you're in the public eye, that's sort of like these third and fourth layers of analysis of like, okay, well, now what does this do with my outward persona? Does right. this benefit me? Okay, check box. That's a step yeah. up. Is it going to get a lot of people talking and keep me relevant? Check box. And it's like almost the same thing as like, are they caring? Do right. they listen? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. What do you think sure. they talk about though? Like, I just don't, the most I can't imagine what, what they're having a conversation know. about. I guess they're not having conversations. I mean, maybe he's really into like, legal stuff like she is and they have <laughs> deep deep debates over you know the state of like our carceral system and things like that or maybe they just bone a lot and just say i love you and realize in a couple months they actually have nothing in common i don't know I don't yeah know. i mean they're always doing like i guess by this i mean i've seen one picture of them on a roller coaster so that's a good date mm -hmm. to go on with someone who you're attracted to but like don't have a ton to like talk about you just talk about the roller coaster that you just went on. That was so um, fun. Yeah, that was fun, right? Right. At the beginning. That <laughs> oh my one, god, that one part. part? Remember oh, that one? when it dropped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I was, I was like, like on the way up, I was less scared. But then when it right. dropped, when it dropped, it like, exactly. That was, was oh my god, you too. Right. That was that. That was the and, part that scared me. And this is what I'm saying. Like we have so much in common. <laughs> like this is crazy. <laughs> because again i would love to see a posed photo where she's like i'm reading foucault's pendulum <laughs> right? and he's right. like and i've got thoughts too yeah like you know but i don't know if what 
you know, I, I don't know. That's that's a problem with even trying to dissect like these sort of celebrity relationships. But I do agree with you. Like, I'm definitely I'm done talking about it. Mm. Yeah. In that sense. At whereas I feel like moment. there's a lot of still talk. Like, Man, funny guys, dude. It's a well, I mean, like when this was all in the news last week, apparently Kim had like chartered an airplane for the Afghani soccer team to yeah. go to the UK at this. And it like, but that wasn't in the news. Cause like people just wanted to talk about Pete Davidson wearing skims, pajama pants. But right. what Kim did was really great. Like that was yeah. so wonderful that she chartered that plane for them. So I wonder in that sense, if it is real, because you're like, it's fucking up the things that Kim's trying to like, you know, magnify a little bit more about where her yeah. career is headed, where she's trying to be a little more philanthropic and like activist oriented. And meanwhile, it's just like, dude, look at that fucking hickey he's got, dude. <laughs> right. Oh, right. shit. <laughs> and that's all the news. But yeah, good point. Multitudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, I will save these kids and I will eat his neck like a vampire. <laughs> Don't get me fucked up. Uh, what's something you think is underrated? You know what? I'm like not working right now, not working in the conventional sense, like a lot of LA folks do. And I think that's underrated. Like this whole, like, I'm part of this great, what were they calling it? The great resignation. resignation. Yeah. I left right. my job in March and I've been spending the summer just working on a script and a memoir and writing and making art. And it's been amazing. I highly recommend if you can figure out a way to just take advantage of this pandemic in that way to not do anything. It's I don't think we spend enough time letting ourselves get bored. Uh, as an artist, I feel like getting bored is so important for us to let our minds wander and work on art and writing or whatever. And yeah. we're just not giving ourselves the space to do that. So getting bored, being creative, taking naps. That is so underrated right now. Yeah. And I'm here for it. I encourage everyone to to not have things to do. Yep. I didn't mean to yeah. tell you this, Jack, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to have some hey, shit I'm not doing right now. So might be it. I was just reading an article. I think it was in the American Prospect about, you know, the great resignation. And sort of the thrust was like, but there's been a lot of uh, ex- like a lot of explanations to say it's because of enhanced benefits or it's because of this or it's safety or whatever. And then it's like, so I decided to like talk to people that actually <laughs> find out what happened. Right. And it's all like, yo, man, I work for fucking PetSmart because I like pets and I wanted to be a groomer. And then they fucking had me working like seven days a fucking yeah. week and also like working with dogs who are like like who are uh, prone to uh, epileptic like seizures and things that could harm the dogs or like make shit sketchy for me. I lost my whole fucking joy of shit. So I had to fucking stop because the, because at that sector, especially when you're being paid like lower wages, it just felt like I had no time or dignity or nothing. So I'm fucking off that. And it's like, wow, it's like the, so it's like the dignity. It's like the overworking of this, because a lot of these companies that you think of like PetSmart or Petco that are sort of like, publicly owned or traded it's all the very similar ethos of like man pay these people nothing get the fucking most out Mm -hmm. of them it's like you know just like how amazon and all like you know it's the norm now and people are really pushing back against that and you know realizing that life is too precious and for this woman she's like i'm starting my own fucking grooming business because fuck it like i don't need to work for them i can do i like this i'll do it for myself and i'll try that at least so it's interesting yeah i was incredibly burnt out from working in 
the political movement and activism space. And I just, you know, like I'm really jealous of people that have access to unions. I, I as an organizer, didn't have access to a union to fight for the things that I needed. So I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to take a pause, focus on myself and figure out what I want to do next. Nice. Yeah. But that's always the best NAT part. Ministry. You know? I, I've been following the Nat Ministry on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you don't follow her, she's all about resting. And I'm all about it. Mm. Nap Ministry? N-A-P Ministry? Mm-hmm. That's dope. Have you both not been following her? She's amazing. No. She's not. been preaching all about, like, the importance of napping. Yeah. Which feels Ooh. silly, but, like, she talks about it in a, like, political perspective. I need to hear, well, right, 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 of, like, how it's, I've. I've completely lost sight of like napping in any way. Yeah. I I I need to. Okay, I'm following that now. I mean, I to this point I've mostly followed Nas on napping. I never sleep cuz sleep is a cousin of death. Mm-hmm, right. So, that's <laughs> it's the unsustainable I found that that version of that approach to sleep philosophies. But yeah, I mean this I, I'm I'm reading this David Graeber book, The Dawn of Everything, and it's like a history of a retelling of history of like prehistoric humans and also like encounters between, you know, what's been come to what's come to be called Western culture and other cultures. And like this version of humanity where humans are like deprived of their humanity and like and mm. their context and like put into these like market systems that like force them to work kind of and do things that they don't want to do. Like all these things that are absolutely like ingrained into us at a very young age as like being just part of life are actually like very uh, rare. Uh, and, and, you know, when the natives in the Americas like interacted with the French, they had like very, like poetic, insightful, philosophical, like critiques of American or of uh, French values that like then got taken by a bunch of, you know, European intellectuals and like that became the enlightenment. But it's largely like they, they the thing that they did not accept is like the idea of ownership of anything and right. like that. Right. They're like, like wait, when so you solve for that, it's a there's big levels uh, to your shit. Yeah, huh. yeah, exactly. And then if you don't have nothing, like you could, you could be like fucked over. They're like yeah. that doesn't sound like freedom at all. And they're like, right. okay, uh, sure. And they walked away. They're like, fuck, they were right, man. We might have to rethink this. <laughs> Let's don't give them credit. Though. Don't give them credit. A, though. Yeah, yeah. Say we thought yeah. of this shit. Even the writers at the time would give them credit, and then like other Western intellectuals would be like, well, they just like said that they got those ideas from <laughs> them, but it's actually like clearly them masking those ideas that they have themselves uh, in the oh. mouths of uh, the quote savages. And the other detail I've talked about before, but it was it's just like brought up again in this book that anytime you had Western cultures, interacting with like what they called the savages the western like there would be a huge you know problem for western societies of people fleeing western cultures and going to live with the non-western like what yeah. it was called going savage but basically like nobody wanted once they saw the two options nobody wanted to live in the you know european culture right Mm. And the only reason that 
we ended up with the one we've got is because of germs and that's it. Uh, it's not because of like some superiority or whatever the fuck white supremacists like to believe. It was it was really called going savage. Yeah, that's what they call it. Like there's this letter Ben Franklin wrote to a friend where he was like, we like the main problem that we have in the Americas is that it seems like nobody who interacts with like native culture or uh, savage culture like wants to continue to live amongst us like they it's wow. just a it's a one-way street and we're losing we're losing people constantly and there's no there's nothing happening the opposite way like everybody's just like <laughs> fuck this man <laughs> like when they when they get a taste of our life they yeah. don't want our christianity they don't yeah. want our weird fucking fiat currencies what is this what is this shit oh man yeah so I just love like the the hater attitude towards it. Like, oh, another one. Dave went savage too. Right. (laughs) We got a problem here, folks. We got a big problem here. Yeah. Like even people who were like kidnapped in battle, you know, raised with with the tribe that kidnapped them and like killed their family. They would come back to Western culture and like maybe last a year and then just like go back. Because they, I mean, right. Because it's truly like to wake up, you know, in our society, we wake up and the first thing is like, I got it. I have to start doing things to live or I will will perish. Whereas, you know, in anything that was more communal, it's like, yep, I'm waking up and I know that I'm going to contribute to this group thing. And by doing that, I know other people are acting uh, in reciprocity. That it makes the whole thing work because we're all kind of on the same page and not having to sweat all this other stuff and shit. I can only imagine how, like, yeah, what what people in our current times, if we gave people like another way or a, a new way to think about how society could function, I'd be curious to see how, you know, how those things would move. Although pretty strong media apparatus to kind of keep those kinds yeah. of ideas out of people's yeah, of course. minds. You know what all this reminds me of? It reminds me of those white women that would go to India. And then they would find like their rickshaw driver and then get married to the rickshaw driver. And then they would just move to India permanently. Like it kind of reminds <laughs> right. me of the hippies, I guess, like the hippies mm. from the, the white hippies from the seventies that would go to South Asia. What do you yeah. think the appeal like, was for, for those women in terms of like what the mindset I mean, just was? Not, and... Yeah. Not being a part of Western society, I guess. Right. I don't know. I, I've always like kind of been like, why? But right. Hey, there's a whole like 90 day fiance, right? Isn't that show like based on this kind of like concept? Yeah. I mean, there is a woman, uh, Jenny, who is trying to marry her uh, Indian husband, although he will at every turn find an excuse not to marry her. (laughs) But spoiler alert, they do. All right. Let's take a quick break and we will come back and talk about the pandemic, but probably keep talking about these ideas in the context of that. Mm. and we're back and we are still in the pandemic it turns out i was feeling very comfortable uh having you know the relatives around i got my parents coming out for christmas i was like all right we're back to normal but it feels like you know there's a new 
variant Omicron. Is that it? Am I pronouncing that I right? I don't even know. Omicron. Know. Om- Omicron. Omicron. Omicron sounds like a name. Like the, it was on the list of names that the writers of the Terminator, of like Jim Cameron, put together yeah. for Skynet. Like Omicron. But it's, yeah, it's, it's new. It's highly transmissible, I guess. But we don't really, it doesn't seem like we know that much other than that it's out there and spreading. No, I mean, I think the only thing that you can say is that there's a new variant that does have significant mutations that they're now saying, okay, well, we need to watch this because the mutations they're saying with that, that means, does that make it highly transmissible? Does that mean it's possible to even evade vaccines and, you know, that our inoculations might not be enough to deal with this new variant? But it all sounds very bad. But again, we're still very much trying to learn what's happening. And like, when you think about it, there have been many variants of concern that spring up. You watch, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But at the very least, it's worth, you know, obviously for the World Health Organization and anyone, everyone who's invested from a scientific perspective, they're very much looking at this closely. But when you look at kind of like what the nations are doing, we're kind of making the same shitty mistakes like over and over, these like knee-jerk reaction of just saying like, well, because they South South Africa identified it first in their laboratory, we're just going to ban everyone from South Africa and surrounding countries because that's because they found it. Right. And it's like, OK, that's just because they're they have the like labs to actually look at this stuff, because not to mention it's also been found like in Hong Kong and parts of Europe. I think it seems like a natural reaction to try and make your country safer by saying like, OK, well, now we got to huddle up, man. We got to make sure we're watching the exits, making sure we know what's coming in or et cetera to, for safety. But if it's that serious, then like a lot of people are like, why aren't you testing inbound passengers from these places first? Rather than just saying like, oh, it's a full on ban. There's nothing else right. we can do. We just got to stop that. If it's that serious, then you right. should actually be screening people who come in at all to understand, okay, what's everyone's relative like risk factor. But again, it just sort of makes for good optics, not really good, essentially like a real safety. It's not going to affect our safety because a lot of people pointed out that by the time a lot of these sort of travel restrictions go into place, it's already in the country. And the biggest thing that most people are pointing to is the fact that rather than just closing the fucking shop door, why don't you make it fucking rain vaccines on every fucking country? Because that's really the, our, our way out of this or one of our more potent ways out of this is to make sure that we're we're able to provide vaccinations to the developing world rather than treating it like this, like, you know, Petri dish for mutations. Yeah, it seems like if we just mobilize like it was World War Two, like we were talking about at the beginning of the pandemic, and we're just like, all right, this is every all hands on deck. We're all working to, you know, do whatever we can to get vaccines out. That's that's the way to stop this thing. It would save millions and millions of lives. And there's just not the the will to do that. It seems like. Yeah. It, yeah. And again, I think back to sort of this idea of how disconnected we are, our lack of even like sense of duty to like our fellow human beings is just sort of, you know, it's highlighted with this idea where it's the fucking earth is it's just one big fucking cell and the idea that you think your fucking borders is going to stop anything or you know the, the country you're born in 
is going to prevent things. I mean, to a certain extent that might, but you know, that is runs completely counter to like how we were supposed to approach this, that if we're, we have to mobilize as human beings, then we should be making the vaccine as widely available as possible in order to begin to protect the individual points of contact like that, that allow for a virus to spread, but it isn't. And we're still looking at just this very, we're just watching greed sort of dictate how we are or even working within the pandemic. And that's why it's like, it's so such a hard thing to watch too, because a lot of, you know, the, the viral virologists and epidemiologists were saying, you know, getting as many people vaccinated is key because if you start having these pockets where no one's vaccinated, it's just, it's a playground for mutations that will yeah. then render all the, all the research that was done could be rendered moot because something has mutated past the point of like what we've been able to counteract with vaccines and things like that. And, you know, on the tail end of that, while that's just like very disconcerting because you're like, oh God, like, is it, are we going to fully go back? Because you're already seeing on conservative media, they're like, Hey man, I think the Democrats, I think they're behind this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like they've, I think they've got something in hand or I even read stuff from like anti-vax people or people who are like stealth anti-vaxxers who are like secretly vaccinated. They're like, see, it's stuff like this. You got a new variant and now there's going to, there's got to be more vaccines. I mean, come on, what's going on here? <laughs> and I'm like, that's not an argument. Like, yeah. really? That's, you're just saying the idea is inconvenient, but however, you're completely missing the point that you are in a situation outside of your control. This isn't that someone saying like, all right, folks, it's time for virus season. Now, which ones are we going to give the people? And then uh, how can we then make the most money off of it? Although that is a worldview that seems to be pretty popular at the moment. The microchipping of people. Right. The great chip vaccine. You tell me that the flu mutates every year and I need a different flu shot every year with a flu. Okay. Right. All right, George Soros. Like, right. Like, no, nah, see, I don't like this. I don't like this. So then yeah. what's your alternative, sir? Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. And that's going to protect you from the virus. I'm hoping. Haven't so thought that far. If, I'm hoping if I don't agree with the virus, that's enough to protect me. Mm. So, oh. yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a very, again, very tenuous situation. And we're constantly reminded, I think we have these moments where it's easy to like exhale and be like, oh man, like, that's right. I'm, I can kind of be around my elderly relatives or people with like that are immunosuppressed or whatever. I can just, that it feels a little less risky. And then we're kind of right back into like worrying about things. But mm -hmm. although I think the main thing that experts are saying is like, please let us do the research. Don't start buying up everything. Don't start panicking, but we do need to just, you know, get a handle on the research. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that there's like this element of like, what's, what's real. Like, we know that the government health officials are using the news to spread awareness about vaccines. So like, and you have to kind of take it with like a little grain of salt. Like it's, these conversations aren't for us people who are vaccinated. They're really trying to like scare people who are unvaccinated into getting vaccinated with facts and figures and just trying to figure out like how else to do it. So I just like, I don't know I mean, it feels really silly to say this, but I don't know what is real or like it's been such a hard two years of like the up and down of like the pin, like the virus is awful. And then now all of a sudden, like we we're not wearing masks and then we are wearing masks and we're traveling and not traveling. And like the whole up and down of the past two years has been. Uh, yeah, 
it's been hard to figure out like to make the proper risk assessments. Sure. I yeah. Can, yeah. And it, it does feel like, and then you'll go to like, you'll even go to like a town over and you're like, oh, nobody wears masks here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. It's very like regional. other places. You're like very regional. Everybody's masked the fuck up. Yeah. And yeah, like I think that because they're, because everything's so fractured, there's no way to have like consistent messaging. And then on top of it, yeah, like rightly so. It's like, well, the same news channel that's telling me that the labor shortage is causing inflation that I completely disagree with is also telling me this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, let me compartmentalize because I don't need your take because you're a Wall Street goon and you're talking about the economy. Bring the doctor on who's not a fucking liar. And then you're like, okay, I like this. This feels good. I I trust the science. And luckily, there was like another uh, recent survey that said uh, faith in science has gone up very significantly over the last year. (laughs) So is that true? I think we're just living in one of those weird places where people like science. I mean, that's great. But overall, I think there's a lot of gratitude. And then to that point, too, is, you know, there are two therapeutic drugs for covid that seem very, very promising. Because at this point, we've all just been sort of like, man, if you get it and it's bad enough, there's only so much that you can do. But along with like the preventative medicines, like through vaccines, there are also now therapeutic drugs that are showing some pretty significant results for people. Um, Like, you know, like when they get a positive test by taking it, it really can lessen the damage that the virus can do. So we got it's, it's up and down, folks, up and down. Yeah. I hope we can figure this out sooner than later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we get to that ASAP world? Uh, can we just like kind of, you know, just get rid of the problem? One second. I'm just... trying to figure out how to get the fuck off this rock. Yeah. Then I'll get back to you. <laughs> I mean, I knew we were in trouble when we lost Russell Brand. Did you guys hear this? He's an anti-vaxxer now. Oh, man. He's so cool. That guy? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't give a fuck about anything. So it's like, what? All right. Let's uh let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. And we do, you know, we were talking about how Matthew McConaughey was polling better than either candidate in the Texas governor's race. And he had voiced, you know, interest in running for governor. It feels very much like, you know, if he was flirting with somebody like just in a friendly way and they were like, we're going to get married. <laughs> like, you see, or, that? You see that? He fucking loves me. Touch my shoulder uh, it's, when he left. Yeah, it's just like, you know, politics is like the star power here is off the charts. Let's right. He he's into it. Let's get him in. Let's get him in here. And he was just like, oh, no, sorry. I I wasn't serious about that is basically where we're at. Yeah, he I think while many were like, oh, wow, look at that. He's putting the smash on Greg Abbott. He definitely he had to announce, Okay, that he's as much as y'all wanted it. Mm. He might not be able to deliver. He just tweeted (laughs) from his Twitter account an American flag emoji with this video clip. Hey, everybody, McConaughey here. Listen, over the past two years, I've been working on the answer to the question of how I can be most useful in this life going forward. Useful to myself, useful to my family, and to the most amount of people. One category of service I've been exploring is politics. I've been considering a run for governor of Texas. I've been listening, I've been learning, I've been measuring. 
been studying Texas politics and American politics. What have I learned? A lot. That we have some problems we need to fix. That our politics needs new purpose. That we have divides that need healing. Okay. I that mean, we need more trust in our lives. He's teasing us. Shining a light on our shared He's values. Us. He's going to run. Cross party lines, the ones that build bridges instead of burn them. Mm. But uh, our children burn are our greatest asset. So, hey, let's be as good a parents as we can be. Okay. All right. Anyway, so all that to say. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> does that get, a, like that? That's a three minute long video. Does he eventually three... say, "But I'm not going to run"? What the fuck? Yes, is? all that to be like. But I'm off this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, and I think that's what we should. I think we should have expected nothing less from Matthew McConaughey because he loves a monologue. He yeah. loves a monologue, which I'm also yeah. surprised. That's all you get to do when you're a politician, Matt. Right. That's what he thought he would only get to do as, as the governor, right. though, you know? Right. And then the second he's like, he's like, I don't know. I feel like people should decide if they want the vaccine. Be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> hey, shit. All right. Um... <laughs> Not it's all not right, just, all right, it's all not right. just one-way monologues like I thought. So yeah, all that to say is he was just saying, you know, he is a simple man and he want he considered the path of political leadership and it's humbling, but he's deciding to not take it at this moment. Mm. Um so he's not going to be do throwing you, his sweat-soaked workout bandana into the ring. Do we think that his the people that were behind him are going to go to Beto? Uh, I don't he, he, Dude. Beto definitely had worse numbers against him, so that could suggest that there's like more room to grow with McConaughey leaving the race. But it also feels like, I mean, I like, yeah, hey, look, he tried, man, he tried. Beto tried. I don't know if there's he's gonna get some better strategy behind yeah. his campaign to try and make, uh, you know, get a different result. But I mean, it it feels like I think you've we've we've rang that rag dry. <laughs> whatever you're going to get out of Beto O'Rourke in terms of, you know, his his ability to like win in Texas. I know a lot of people support him, but it just seems like there may maybe some newer ideas. I don't know. Yeah, I think generally that's just the the problem with people running Democrats is like it's there's there aren't many exciting like, you know, in terms of like spotlighted candidates. There's not a lot that you're like, oh, maybe that. Got, no. Yeah. It seems to be coming from like the newer generation of younger politicians that have like something a little bit different to offer. Well, who who else is running? Right, this is the the selections gonna the primary is gonna be March first next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be Beto or uh, Abbott, and you know, uh, as a podcast, we haven't decided who we're gonna officially endorse. Endorse there. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, it like you know, Beto obviously the lesser of two evils uh the far lesser of two evils so hopefully people do kind of get in line behind him i just don't know like how much enthusiasm there's going to be for right for him at this point but i well, mean i don't know if uh let's see i think is julian castro my i don't he might run oh, okay oh. so so i mean you know he, he used to be the mayor of san antonio i think he might have a he might i well who knows he could have a good shot I, it's I think when you just look at sort of the politics there and like the, the way campaigns are going to be run, it's hard to really imagine like what rhetorically what this thing's going to look like and who's going to be best suited when you're like 
when you're yeah. debating someone who's like, books make little white kids feel bad. <laughs> Change my mind. Right. And, you know, that's sort of where the limits are of the discourse. Yeah. I mean, as important as that race is, we do have to uh, move on to an even more important state-based competition. And yes, that is, sorry. of course, America's favorite Christmas candy uh, brought to you by <laughs> CandyStore.com. It is a, you know, another one of those. You say maps. that like this is SpawnCon. I know. Don't it did it sound like a lot like SpawnCon. <laughs> Yo, fuck that. They're not giving a shit. It's a bad map. Fuck these maps. Uh, there's something that I probably couldn't say if it was SpawnCon. <laughs> but brought to it, you by CandyStore.com. Fuck them. Yeah. Uh, and here's our favorite candy. But you guys probably go to the page rather than, and again, I sound like I'm just, just go to the page. And when they ask for your information, just like, don't, they, you can trust them. Just surrender it. Yeah. But it's, uh, they did ask 23,000 people from across America what their favorite candy was. And then, you know, organize that data based on state, cross-referenced it with manufacturer candy manufacturers to make sure sales back up the findings. and. It's, you know, it does feel like it's a little bit more like rather than the one, the, the ones where every state has a different like candy yeah. that they like, right. which feel like they it has been edited in order to make it as interesting as possible here. Like it's the answers are pretty like appropriately boring. It's yeah. Peppermint bark is like not is king. Peppermint bark is king. I yeah, I like that it is. It feels like things, if you went to the store in the can, like Christmas candy section, it's like these seven yeah. things that you're used to seeing. Because like some of the other maps, like what's everyone's favorite Thanksgiving side? And there's like these wild esoteric ones right. like, man, they like candied pig's hooves. And you're like, what the fuck? Is that even real? <laughs> yeah. This definitely this feels, feels like a CVS aisle or a Walgreens right, yes. aisle of candy. Yeah. Right. Because so, right. like, I think there's there's some that are missing, like. Why is fudge not on here? Like, I feel like, you know, holiday fudge with peppermint bark, but right. that's not something you get it. The main ones yeah. you see are like Reese's Cups. Sure. Reese's Pieces, like in the little, or sorry, Reese's Pieces. Thank you, sir. Uh, In like a candy cane <laughs> form, like a plastic cone cane or cane. Then like the co holiday colored Hershey Kisses. This all shit that's normal. And the candy canes, like whatever. That's like... When I was a kid, I used to like them because I was like free sugar that you could find like available at a store. But it always but reminded me, me too much of toothpaste. It was just like, why? What? Uh, this is like a toothpaste popsicle. The fuck out of here oh, with that. Oh, <laughs> oh, look, they just hardened this toothpaste and put a little candy <laughs> swirl around it. They got me. Eating it's it. like toothpaste, except it rots your teeth instead of cleaning them. Mm. My theory is that they that peppermint bark has is they they call it like the hard charging peppermint bark because it's like taking over uh, a bunch of states that used to be Reese's cup strongholds and they're saying that like it's the biggest grower and I'm I'm wondering if it's because they have all this equipment to make candy canes but like most of the country has found out that there's other candy besides candy canes like, they mm -hmm. don't think that that's only Christmas candy. So they're like, all right, what if we dropped it and then just, like, took, picked up the pieces and glued it onto, like, some <laughs> low-quality chocolate? Like, that's... Now you got something. Yeah. I like peppermint bark. It's funny because I, I, I haven't had... The first time I had it was, like, seven years ago. Yeah, it's... I, a, it's I, a I was new. I was pretty ignorant to the peppermint bark game. It's a new kid on um, the block. Yummy. 
Yeah, we, but it's like... Can we talk like, about the reindeer corn that's on yes. this list? Yeah, that's the one weird one. It's so weird. It's like candy. I've never heard of candy corn in Christmas colors. Yeah. Which it's is so what shouldn't. it looks like this This is. The Deep South is having a is having a tough go here on, on this map. We got Louisiana and Oklahoma are both uh, candy cane strongholds, like one of the few. And then you, you've got reindeer corn, number one in Alabama. Reindeer corn is candy corn with different food coloring, just a red, green, or white. A lie. I mean, uh, though we're just looking at green and red M&Ms and actually like it's a completely different product, <laughs> too. So, okay, fair play to, fair play to reindeer corn. I, I can't hate totally, but yeah, it looks not good. Also, yeah. Florida, what are you doing? I mean, Skittles? Florida's Skittles? always got to be holiday little... Skittles? Holiday mix Skittles, which what, that is something I did not, I was not aware existed. I don't know. Like, what is a holiday? So is it like... Apples and like oranges and pears, like the things that you get in like a fruit gift basket or something. Like what? It, what is a holiday Skittles mix? Ooh, it gross. is. I don't know. I think it could just be different um, colors. Okay, it's a uh, Christmas flavored. No, okay. Yeah, so it's... flavors include banana berry, gross, kiwi lime, no thank you, mango tangelo, no. Pineapple, passion fruit, strawberry, star fruit, berry punch, melon berry, raspberry, strawberry, and wild cherry. So there's a lot going on there. Oh, about... so it's like from the blue pack, right? Isn't that aren't those the blue Skittles flavors from the <laughs> blue pouch? Okay, so you know what? This is I would that I was actually reading a Skittles mashups, wild berry, and tropical candy. So ignore <laughs> everything I just said, but don't edit it out, please. Uh, it's important to me that everybody hear how stupid I am. Okay. <laughs> It also looks like um, Pez Pez has made the the list. Oh, where are they at? Who's Pez it up? Uh, they're second and third in Louisiana, New Mexico, New Jersey. I gotta yeah. say, I was a big Pez fan growing up. Oh, Pez is yeah. a great stocking stuffer. Yeah, yeah. I like Pez because it's like it was like a toy. You know what I mean? Like it was the closest thing because you'd be like, "Oh shit, look, it's fucking Superman." Yeah, or Fucking Gumby. Yeah. I think, did I have a Gumby Pez dispenser? Anyway, all that to say that like these kinds of candies, though, I feel like chocolate should be king of the holidays, but I'm very biased. Okay, so what are your favorite holiday uh, candies? Mini Reese's Cups, uh, Reese's Pieces, any, any M&M. Do um, they have to be in that like, tree triangle, like, like the tree? Or do you like just generic circle? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Treases? You need treases. I actually take the little, I take the little mini cups and build a, a life-size Christmas tree out of them, <laughs> and then just eat it as fast as I possibly can, bit by bit. I love yeah. look peppermint bark. I'll fucking eat that shit all day because it reminds me of like Andy's chocolate, you know, mint chocolate. I mint love Andy's. Yeah, that's and I think as a kid that was like my favorite little kind of, you know wrapper chocolate that you could get with like at someone's house or whatever or at a grandparent's home so yeah peppermint bark evokes that i'm also i like thin mint so like you know mint chocolate chip ice cream whenever you're mashing mint and chocolate together I'm, I'm 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 here for it you know who is fucking up is andy's and whoever's in charge of their marketing because right. andy's should be here instead of peppermint bark or Andy's yeah. should have peppermint bark exactly or york They're, shouldn't yeah. york peppermint patties be here yeah i mean oh, they're fucking yeah. up too 
Yeah. York and Andes, they need to be, like, you know, squat up and then pull up to Peppermint Bark's house and just spray the shit out that place. You know what I mean? Let them know it's war. So I'm, I'm Arkansas has a new winner and it is Starburst Merry Mix. Gross. Cherry Cheer and Strawberry Blitzen are the two that, flavors and it's all red just, and green. Just added a word to the regular flavor. <laughs> and made cherry strawberry, strawberry green? Come on, y'all. What, what, yeah. what are you doing here? What I mean, you? look, it's all marketing, but Peppermint Bark, number one. Yeah. Well, shout out to Peppermint Bark and any, you know, whatever candy executive was like dropped a can, threw a candy cane in fury at how bad sales had become and then like saw the shattered pieces and were like, everybody sit down. I got an idea. <laughs> get, get your it sounds like the, it sounds like the plot to a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah. Right. I mean, could be. Oh. Miles, how I are just, you doing, by the way? I, I feel like I like I fall I'm falling down on the job asking you this late in our first post Thanksgiving episode. How are you feeling about the coming Hallmark Christmas movie season? Coming. It's been happening for the past month. Uh I haven't really I haven't checked out the Hallmark stuff. I started off by trawling Netflix for the ones Netflix has made. I watched the Prince at Christmas Switch Three uh with Vanessa Hudgens. A little, it's just, you know, that one's getting away from him. You know, hate to say yeah. it, hate to say it. That one's gotten completely away from him. I don't know what the point is of it and how it relates to Christmas. I watched the other one with Jimmy O. Yang and oh. Nina Dobrev. That one was kind of I haven't watched that one yet. I wanted to I watch I kind of bailed one. on it. Like I do, with, if, if, if I'm not fucking with it by the end of the second act, I'm like, I don't even need to see the third act. I'm off. Right. Because uh, I just like happen. the vibes. And then I watched another one that was about Santa's daughter who avoid this one was wild. Santa's daughter. It's like treated like a Shakespearean thing where like they have to like she's almost being betrothed to the the Jack Frost family in order for Santa and Frost to like have a tight bond. But Mm. then there was also like talk of like teaming up with the tooth fairy. It was a very bizarre thing. So her solution is just to go to college. And try oh, and be a regular person. Got it, got it. And that one was super all over the place. But overall, yeah, I'm I'm fully in it. I is there are there any good Hallmark ones, Tess, coming out? Yeah, I just watched the first Indian full cast one last oh, night. Shit. It's called okay. what was it called Baking Spirits Bright, and it's about like this like South Indian woman who's making her mom or sorry her nanny's plum fruit cake, and so they have this whole like fruit cake business. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm obviously for people that know, like I'm really into Hallmark movies for I don't know why. And it was it was cool to finally see representation yeah. in Hallmark. There's usually more representation in Lifetime Christmas movies than Hallmark. Mm. But it's been cool. That one was okay. There was also like Boyfriends of Christmas Past, which has an Asian American female protagonist and her love interests are all multiple races. So that was also cool. Yeah, that's like the one with the Jimmy O. Yang one. I was like, okay. I'm like, they got him and the one from uh, what's uh, Never Have I Ever, that guy who is yeah. like the Japanese guy. So I was like, okay, look at look at the. I'm, I've, I've, that was the thing I've always been like, when are we going to see Asian people in these movies? Yeah. Mm. When? But I feel like we're we're making a like a turn has been made, and maybe our scripts will finally get picked up. And to that one, I mean, ask you, you said you're working on a script. I didn't want to be like, is that the holiday movie one? 
or you no, my other- holiday script is done. I wrote the Merry Muslim Christmas rom com, a uh, rom com back in 2018. I just pandemic happened, and I don't really know how to sell scripts, um, but hopefully I can do something. Nor with does it now. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, Marvista, so Marvista Entertainment. They take Seriously? pitches all the time. Yeah, they're because they do all. They do a ton of the Christmas movies. I pitched. Were you working them. on a uh, on a Christmas script? I was. We pitched it. We I pitched it to them. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. They they passed on it. You know? And then I kind of see, you know, kind of see my idea popping up and other stuff. I'm not saying nothing, but wow. I will say that it's also very <laughs> the the creativity amongst the Christmas films is pretty limited. So uh, <laughs> yeah. there's a you know there's two colors that you're working with, red and green, <laughs> and your your starburst can be green and red or red and green. There's a new one coming out on Comedy Central next week that features two Indian girls and it's kind of like a I think Cal Penn's in it too so it's like a Diwali Christmas mashup oh, oh. what is your favorite Christmas movie Lifetime Hallmark or otherwise otherwise it's Edward Scissorhand mm-hmm. Ed- Edward Huge Scissorhand the, the prequel the prequel right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Where, where he's only got one hand and right. still pretty good. He doesn't have a hey, scarred man, up face. Just, he's just doing. Hey man, we should scissor this other hand. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh man, that was that is exactly what my dad would call it. He can't he can't get <laughs> pluralizing anything. Brad Pitt is Brad Pitts, and it's, Edward Scissorhands right? is Edward Scissorhand for sure. Is Edwards Edward Scissorhands? Scissorhand. <laughs> <laughs> that would be if there were multiple, if there was a multiplicity type situation, and you had right. multiple Edwards Scissorhand. What's your What's your outlier Christmas movie, Jack? Is it Die Hard? Uh, I mean, that's such a wacky answer, but Die Hard was for you know. The portion of my life when I was uh, thought I was too grown up to say Jaws was my favorite movie, I said Die Hard was my favorite movie. So I do really love Die Hard. Also really love Die Hard 2, which is pretty absurd and over the top and also very Christmassy. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I like the classics. You're Scrooged. The... Yeah. Well, it's funny because the movie Love Hard with Jimmy O. Yang, it's called Love Hard. Because like kind of one of the the sort of thrusts of it is like they bond over the their love for Die Hard as a Christmas film. Oh, and interesting! Like, oh, wow, and it's meant to sort of be like this hot take that like she's like oh, no one believed me until you. And the whole the whole conceit <laughs> of it is kind of interesting. <laughs> this dude off. Jimmy O Yang, you know from Silicon Valley, you probably remember him. He basically was catfishing Nina Dobrev with another dude's picture, and she thought she was like with this like other guy, and so. And they've like, they kick it, they hit it off over phone and text and shit like that. And then he's like, hey, why don't you come to, he's like, or he didn't invite her. He said, oh, I wish I could spend the holidays with you. And she took that as, I'm going to go surprise him. So Mm. then she pulls up and realizes like, you are not the gentleman from the fucking photo. And that's where the hijinks ensue. Mm. But she's, Um, she's acting like uh, this is the first she's ever heard of somebody claiming that Die Hard is a holiday, is a Christmas movie. Wait, no, I mean, like, her thing is, like, she argues with people who don't believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Right, right, right. okay. And yeah. then they're like, hey, it is a Christmas movie. It's the perfect Christmas movie. And they're yeah. like, okay, thank you. Very specific. Uh, my outlier pick for Christmas movie, I guess if it's an outlier, I don't know, Bad Santa, it's still, it's, there's something oh, about wow. how fucked up he is, and it puts me in the holiday spirit. Um, <laughs> and more traditionally... Oh, I love Jingle All the Way. I've never Sinbad seen Jingle Arnold. All the Way. 
Oh, my God. I need to watch that. Jack, you got to get a Turbo Man doll for your kid. <laughs> You're going to be a bad dad. That one. And also Home Alone 2, man. I like New York. I, I fucking love yeah. New York in the winter. Home so Alone there's two. something about wow. Home Alone 2. I fuck with man. heavy. Yeah. Also, I think it's a, the idea of, I think as a kid, I like the autonomy in the city as a child that Kevin experienced in Home Alone 2 and be like, oh, shit, look at you. Like, duping people with your talk boy and shit. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. And uh, also the idea that you could just get room service and eat a bunch of ice cream. It just still resonates with my childish brain. And you said that it's your favorite cameo of all time is Donald Trump. Donald yeah. Trump showing up. And uh, 100%, 100%, you, you said that's when you knew he was a star. You said that's, that's when I said, I remember as a kid, I said, this guy about to be the president. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? A store wouldn't accept your stolen credit card, credit card. is a, a fun movie quote. Yeah. They they only let Trump onto that movie because they wanted to film in the plaza. Like that was the stipulation. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Deal. If if I'm if I can play Kevin, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, or just uh, show up, you know, whatever. All right. If you, do, if do you don't like me for the role, it's fine. I'll just show up. Perfect idea. He passes me. We lock eyes. He realizes I'm him in the future, <laughs> and I realize that's me as a boy. And then we can go off on a whole other narrative where. I'm the king of New York. There you go. Oh, the sticky bandits. Put him in jail forever. And there's a new Home Alone, too, with like a, a, a little kid. It's on Disney Plus. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. yeah and but, uh, is it Anna Kendrick in it, too? Yeah. Yeah. But that one, is it still in the tradition of the Home Alones? You know? I think so. I think, I'm not sure if they're trying to redo the first one or if it's like uh, the third Chapter. Oh, it's Ellie Kemper. Uh, Ellie Kemper, Archie Yates. Hey, Ashlyn B, my past guest. Rob Delaney, Pete Holmes. Okay. But yeah, that one, I think that came out earlier this or last month. And yeah, they, whoa, Mikey Day, I guess, wrote this too. So you got a lot of interesting comedy things going on there. But that one says, a married couple tries to steal back a valuable heirloom from a troublesome kid. And isn't that the spirit couple. of Christmas? <sighs> <laughs> The Web Bandits are a married couple now. I mean, yeah. if that's not progress, <laughs> I guess it's not. Anyways, Taz, uh, such a pleasure having you on the show. As always, where can people uh, find you and follow you? I'm always down to talk about Christmas movies. Mm. I am at Tazzy Star on all the socials. I'm actually out in a book that just came out a couple of weeks ago. I have a story in this book called New Moons, Contemporary Writing by North American Muslims. So. You can find me in a bookstore, too. Oh, check out New Moons. Is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? All right. Tweet I've been enjoying because we're still on residual Thanksgiving. They're from at Daniel Suleiman. Fact of the day, pumpkin pie became a popular dish during Civil War era celebrations of Thanksgiving because pumpkins were grown on small farms, not plantations making mm. the pie a symbol of abolitionist virtue. Oh, there she go. That, that, and right. then it continues, the thread continues with um, the history of abolitionist history of Thanksgiving. I thought that was really interesting. The persistence of uh, turkey and pumpkin pie, even though they're both, you know, fine, but it's inspiring that the people 
continue to fuck with pumpkin pie and turkey mm-hmm. all these generations on. Look at it. Miles, where can people find you and follow you on what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. Also, the other show, 420 Day Fiance, obviously. If you like 90 Day, come listen to me yell about that. Uh, this one is from Lauren Huff at Lauren the Huff, H O U G H. And again, to your point, Taz, about sort of this this hangover from the holidays. And again, I think intersecting with just kind of having boundaries when you're working. This one says, none of y'all motherfuckers better be answering email on Sunday night. We are not ending the weekend early. Hold the line. <laughs> Which is true. Like, come on, y'all. Give yourselves fucking time. You can actually say, yeah, I'm not looking at this shit till Monday. Hold. Even though- hold. Hold. Yeah. So nope. hold the line. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> whenever you can, just really Hold your boundaries, because that's all we got right now. All right. Let's see. Some tweets I've been enjoying. Miami Bay tweeted, everyone who didn't post their Urban Dictionary name should get $100. (laughs) (laughs) Isabel tweeted, funny men attract hot women, and funny women attract hate comments on Twitter. And then Whitmer Thomas tweeted, I just want to feel what the guy singer in the B-52s feels. And I agree. Oh, just Fred? put that guy's blood in my veins. I was. If you see a faded <laughs> sign at the I side, side of the of road, road I mean, ten miles. Woo, woo. You could, yeah, fuck that, man. If they could bottle up that Fred energy, <laughs> yeah. I'm off drugs. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, DailyZeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy? Oh, this one. This is a very interesting rap track by Bugmane and Borka B, and it's called Coco Pelli. Bugmane? I just think of the, like, <laughs> Coco Pelli, but these guys, like, it sounds like they sampled maybe some, like, Incan, like, like Peruvian pan flute kind of band stuff. And like the chorus is like, I am, follow me, I am Coco Pelli. It's, it's just kind of a weird list. It's just kind of a fun song. I mean, although I have not looked into the lyrics too much because they're not saying a whole lot. But this is Coco Pelli by Bug Main. All right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Bye.